All right. Hello, everybody. I'm Atlas, and I'm joined today by my friend Carpet and Cork. Hi, how are we doing out there, everyone? Yeah, so uh, we actually are going to be doing um, something a little bit different this week. Um, we're going to be doing a guest show um, partnered with uh, Case Against the Modern Man. Right. Um, and really, we're just going to be kind of taking a look at the journey of being a non-binary person and kind of what that looks like from multiple different perspectives. Um, we're going to be joined by um, our guest Feeney and Rob as well. Um, and so I think it's going to be a really awesome conversation yes. around uh, non-binary um, non-binariness and um, the journey of being trans as well. Um, and I just think that it'd be really important for us to get a little bit of a perspective on what the case against the modern man is and why I think it's going to be a really beautiful episode. Um, and I think carpet and cork should be able to explain that a little bit better. Yeah. So, uh, case against the modern man actually is my, my own personal show that I've been working over, uh, the last year now, almost two years. Um, but yeah, no, we did sit down uh, a couple weeks ago and have a conversation on what it was like to be non-binary. Non-binariness, is that even a word? I know we've said that a couple times here already, but um, it's kind of a... I think we can make it a word. You know, it's, it's one of those things. Language, the asymptotic fidelity of words, we can kind of frame what language in whatever way suits us. But yeah, that's another thing. A Case Against the Modern Man is a deep dive into exactly what I see with modern mankind um and it was a response to this book i read by charles frankel called the case for the modern man and just how horribly wrong i had thought that he had gotten his thesis on money and in the ways that capitalism has shifted in modern times it's something that is very passionate to me and part of the reason why i started a podcast on it was so i could talk for hours and hours on a topic that I think is very nuanced and hard to discuss. Mm, mm. But in that process of building a case against the modern man, I have found one of the most efficient and effective ways of doing so to be sitting down with people who are exploring the boundaries of what it means to actually be living healthily in modernity. And so I thought it would be an interesting way to start out the newest season by sitting down with people who are in the non-binary space and getting their opinions on what life will be. Mm. So, so I was able to pull out uh, a couple of close friends of mine and associates that um, you'd like to get into. Uh, we're going to yeah. be able to work with yeah more. absolutely so we're actually very excited because um feeney in this episode actually is going to be coming on board with the collectivist and is going to be involved with writing some articles for us um and really right. joining the growth of this team and so i'm very excited about that um and uh, also, you know, we have had Rob on the show before, so this is going to be a little bit of an overlap. Um, and I think that will also help this conversation feel a little bit more natural, hopefully for everyone at home. And before we get into this episode, I really think it's important to mention the disclaimer that uh, this is by no means a full spectrum of the non-binary world. Um, that uh, yes. we... Our experiences in this episode do not necessarily speak for everyone's experiences. Um, and so if you as a non-binary person don't necessarily agree with something that we said or an opinion that we have or in a view, 
if you think like we missed something, please reach out to us. Uh, we would love to hear more from a different perspective. And also really the idea is to help have a bigger, more supportive and loving community. So getting all the perspectives that we can is like ideal. So very much so. I mean, we are the collectivists for a reason. Am I right? You're not <laughs> wrong. You are not wrong at all. Yeah. So with that, this was a conversation that I know that both of us had a great time having. And I hope that you guys have a great time listening. I hope you sit down with a cup of coffee, whatever you, your imbibements that you like to enjoy, whether that be a rock star or a tea, just some water. And you just sit down and enjoy the next hour-long conversation with us. We'll see you on the other side. In order for you and me to devise some kind of method or strategy to offset some of the events or a repetition of the events that have taken place here in Los Angeles recently, we have to go to the root. We have to go to the cause. Dealing with the condition itself is not enough. And it is because of our effort toward getting straight to the root that people oftentimes think we're dealing in hate. We are oppressed. We are exploited. We are downtrodden. We are denied not only civil rights, but even human rights. So the only way we're going to get some of this oppression and exploitation away from us or aside from us is come together against the common enemy. recording bot wow. wow interesting hello bot that was fucked up hello right, i'm gonna start my <laughs> hello bot and hello oh my god craig craig is our um yeah he's gonna be doing the recording for akm now because you know i've got too much going on so i had to hire a robot to kind of take over some positions i mean that'll be good <laughs> yeah <laughs> So today we've got a very special episode. We're going to be doing a panel episode instead of a normal guest show like we've done before in the past. So why don't we go around and introduce everyone starting with Atlas up there in the corner. Oh, hey. Well, my name's Atlas. Uh, pronouns are they, them. 
Um, and I am around in the Seattle area. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next up, Feeny. Hi, I'm Feeny. I use he, uh, I use she, he, but mostly she. Um, and I'm from the South. All right. What about you, Rob? My name is Rob. Um, I use they, them, and I'm an organizer operating out of Portland. Nice, nice. So we got a wide range of guests on this panel. Not as expansive as you would think, but, you know, putting a panel together for an internet show is kind of difficult, as I've learned from trying to set this up, you know. And I'm actually kind of glad that for my first panel, I was only able to get three or four guests instead of 12, <laughs> because I'm still intimidated by this, but... Well, hello. We are very scary. <laughs> yes, true, true, true. <laughs> no, um, no, not at all. These are close friends of mine and people I've worked with before. Um, Atlas, for those of you who don't know, has been on the show before. Um, this was before their transition. They were uh, part of the second episode, and we have talked about their work in Seattle before. Feeney was on the episode where we talked about poetry and the um, plagues that took over Rome was actually a very fascinating episode and I highly recommend you go back and listen to it. And Rob and Rob has actually been on the show before. Uh -huh. um, he was a part of our very special episode that covered the election episode. And I actually I'm trying to remember if uh, Fina was part of that conversation as well. I don't believe so. Did no. you watch the it was a chaotic it was chaotic. Yeah, absolutely. It was um, yeah. it was the episode where we were just getting drunk and watching what was happening while the election results rolled in. And <laughs> so it was an episode yeah, yeah, basically yeah. like everyone was doing at that time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Everyone was either full of anxiety or they were right wing and yelling that Trump was going to win. And they were full of anxiety for the rest of the week. So, you right? know, you know, just get shit faced. That's the best way to do it. <laughs> it balanced out. Yep. And I think I think actually at the end of the episode, um, there we left kind of on a happy note but we didn't know what was happening yet and we really focused on that the fact that with the election the results were up in the air at the end it was kind of a new thought usually you had felt like in the past um the end of election day you kind of had an idea at least who was going to be president and i can't really remember of a time in modern history where we ever dealt with like somebody uh getting elected on election day what were you gonna say feeney I think um, Gore and Bush played out very similar. Like they went on for a couple of days, but I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. I remember right. See, but then that in and of itself goes to speak to uh, the fact that I, I am in my 20s and I don't remember <laughs> that election. So it's it's an interesting thought when yeah. they do. I always do think it's funny when people talk about how like this election is the biggest election. It's the craziest election that's ever happened in our lives and it's like yeah i've had three elections in my life and i remember two of them but I, mean, I think it's interesting because like with the use of mail-in ballots that's why it's taking so long because instead of just having everyone come in person and get an immediate result you know you got to count it all right and that was something Ooh. i think we even mentioned on uh that night on the episode but that's actually not what we're here to talk about if you caught any of the intro to this show you kind of would maybe get an idea that we're going to be talking about gender a little bit in this episode and that's um it's a part of the plan but the bigger thing here is actually talking about non-binariness or not so much the absence of, of gender because there are people who are agender but more just androgyny or androgynous I, how would you say that in a term like that 
I, I always think of it as like you are androgynous. The act of being, the act of being androgynous. Wow, I cannot speak. <laughs> okay. um, androgynous uh, and kind of, I would hope, break down some of those stereotypes that we see around that topic. Right. And another thing that I thought was important, which is part of the reason why I wanted Feeney on this show specifically, is to kind of cover like how wide of an umbrella non-binariness can actually be and the amount of people who are fitting inside this um umbrella mm -hmm. of stepping outside of the binary of gender yeah. that we're used to absolutely yeah. and sometimes yeah and sometimes it shows up in ways that like when people think of non-binary the first thing that even if you're woke usually the first thing that would pop in your head would be they them mm. but like i i guess i didn't introduce myself too, but you guys should know me at this point if you're listening to my show. I mean, like, what's wrong? What's wrong with y'all? Um, but <laughs> this isn't a show that like blows up and like a million. Yeah, strikes. I guess that's true. So I still love yeah. all the strangers. <laughs> yeah. It's the this is the episode. Well, this is the yeah. episode. But then, like, uh, my I was just gonna say my pronouns are nouveau, which is neo pronouns. So I'm okay with being called a they them or even sometimes he, depending on. The person i mean i i really don't like it when you're gonna throw that in my face for no reason but it, like my parents for example like i'm never gonna ask my mom to like go through the process of like trying to figure out new language around the word son because like i don't mind it if my mom calls me her son but like i don't take that as being a man and there's the neo pronouns yeah. and then there's also concepts around people who are he and I'm I almost said she him but he she or he or him her and yeah see that's something I'd like to see maybe you speak on a little bit Feeney as to like what your journey was into my goodness expanding your <laughs> idea um well I guess it's a long one so I you know as a kid I was very dedicated to being a I didn't want to play with girls. I didn't want to dress like a girl. I would, you know, get into fights with my mom and my grandma. They'd try to, you know, dress me up. They, I remember very vividly, like, my grandma asked, don't you want to look pretty? Like, don't you want others to think you look good? And the answer is always no. I want to play in the dirt and I want to look like a boy. Mm. Yeah, like, that's not my This is your yeah. church, what not my think? church. Um, but like, mm. and then I grew and yeah. I, at the beginning of high school, entered this phase where I finally felt comfortable being feminine. And I think that that's because it was around that time that I realized that femininity didn't have to be linked to men. A lot of the times when women are taught to perform femininity, we're taught to do it in a way that's expressly for men and for boys instead of for other women. So I think it was yeah. around that time that I realized, wait, I like girls and also yeah. I can dress pretty for girls. And that was something that was super fun for me. Um, so then I started to be really femme and I've kind of kept on that tra yeah. trajectory of like getting more feminine every year. <laughs> Mm, that's really cool. Well, and see, 
I think the interesting thing that I I hear, especially being brought up in that story, is like the idea of gender being decided by its relation to the other gender. Yeah. And the femininity being decided by its perspective by masculinity, which in and of itself seems weird. But you're right. That's one of the things that I see playing into like even my own story on like the like being forced into a masculine role on the other end of it it's it's interesting but like the the connection i hear between your story and mine is this um not so much fear of being connected to the gender you were assigned at birth but more just a disdain for being forced into the box that fits it kind of if, is that a good way of saying that yeah I, I think so and i i think that it was also a little bit like in the family and in the community that i lived in especially when i was very young um and was living in like the rural south was there was a lot more power if you were masculine mm. and it was very evident like i was the biggest cousin but the little cousins would sit in the front seat. I wasn't allowed to sit in the front seat because I was a girl. Right. Like, you know, it was little things. So I think that there was also a little part of me that was like, maybe mm -hmm. if I'm more boyish, I could do more fun things, um, mm. if that makes sense. So trying to disconnect from the, the parts of the gender that didn't line up with who I was as a person. So, I, you know what I yeah. mean? If you don't mind it, me interrupting with like a thought here. Um, this is the point of the panel. Go ahead. Totally. Yeah. I think it's interesting because you're like describing these like personal struggles uh, and like your experiences um, that kind of led you on this journey of realizing a little bit more of who you are and how you don't fit inside this uh, box that your family, community, um, the, the place that you grew up kind of wanted you to fit in. Um, it's interesting <laughs> to see how that is like so deeply rooted into misogyny and like how like that really is kind of the yeah. like the overarching iron hand of like control over the society that we live in currently in like America and really just like the majority <laughs> of the world. Um, and so I, right. it's, it's interesting how um, this topic of gender um, it's yeah. not even just a comparison of the genders. It's like, what is the comparison of everything in relation to a man? And uh, I just think that mm. uh, it's, I don't know that many people who are like questioning gender norms who are not also questioning the society structure that is perpetuating misogyny, if you can pick up what I'm saying. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I think that like gender is, you know, a performance very much so it's like we all ascribe to these certain stereotypes that are <laughs> built in that are either masculine or feminine uh to fit certain situations and there's not necessarily like a you kind of as you live your experience of someone like with a gender or even you know without a gender you ascribe to certain parts of masculinity and femininity to help yourself and progress yourself through the structure that we're living in. Mm -hmm. So I think, Feeney, you bring up a great example of, like, the car. You know, that's, like, super simple, but it's, like, presenting yourself as, like, more masculine or, you know, less feminine, trying to, like, fight misogyny in that way to just, like, 
get ahead in that small way, sitting in shotgun. Like, you wouldn't even think about it normally, but it's like, it's a performance that we are kind of, we have to use yeah. to participate with the rest of society, which is upsetting. I'd like to jump, I'd like to jump on that too, because yeah, the car example was one of the things that stood out to me exactly as well. Um, and on what Atlas said, and even what Rob said, I think the big thing I'm getting from that is, yeah, there's this this definition of masculinity and femininity that revolves around manhood or whatever we're going to like, because I would say masculinity and femininity are real, actual, tangible traits that you can see inside humans that doesn't define mm -hmm. gender and it's more a personality trait leaning. If you would catch what I'm saying, it more decides, um, like there, there are masculine feminine traits in the world out there. Um, mm -hmm. not male female traits is kind of the goal I'm trying to make because you will find masculine men and you will find mask or feminine women, or that was backwards. You'll find masculine women and feminine men. Um, but what I was trying to get at there is this this definition of manhood, much like the conservative definition of a set of values or like morality is based off of it is that way. There is no defining factor that sets a man apart in the world that says it makes sense that a man sits in the front seat and a woman can't because of a, a genetic deviance. I don't know. There, like, I couldn't understand a situation in which there would be a man like is more suited to sitting in the front seat. But you're right. We're playing this cultural game to help build this story of manhood to hold up toxic masculinity or manhood this false set of values to continue this cultural story of patriarchy, which is what I think Atlas was getting to when they were saying that um, people who are looking at our culture right now and having problems with multiple aspects of it are more commonly also questioning gender. If is, is if is, or am I misinterpreting what you were saying there? No, no, you're, you're, you're pretty, pretty close to it. Um, yeah, because I was trying to like draw the parallel uh, between all of the issues, kind of. Um, I think it's interesting when we use terminology like masculine and feminine. Obviously, for this discussion, it makes sense. <laughs> but also, I think it's also kind of interesting if we like what what defines masculine and what defines feminine, and like why are we using those words in particular? Because, right in my head, uh, the social like definition of like masculine is someone that's strong is someone that's like confident someone that is like very out like blah you know mm. which technically shows it presents itself in like these proud boy-esque type of people mm. not say and uh and then you have feminine right and what is feminine supposed to be and that's like it's to be honest our culture culture uses femininity as like um a sexual desire, you know, it's, it's pushed mm. as like this commodity to be sold. Right. So I think it's more beneficial for us to, to break away from these like terminologies, like masculine, feminine, and instead be like, this person portrays a lot of courage, right. Or 
<laughs> these different uh, different ways of describing who they are because at the end, like we're more than a box that society wants to put us in. Um, and so it's interesting if we take gender out of the conversation um, and look at it as more of a human condition of uh, like our souls and our experience as a human. I think that's something to kind of think about as we continue this conversation. No, for sure. That's a great point. What do you, what do you think about that Feeney in the concept of masculine feminine as words that should be brought out of the conversation? Well, I think that, that's lovely. And I think that for the vast majority, like I think that that works really well and I would love that. And I think that's just, it's just nice. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But I do think that like in the context of specifically lesbianism, which is the point of view that I'm coming from, these are mask and femme or butch and femme are specifically words that have important like I know that that's not like feminine and masculine and you know these are different words but I think that those distinctions are integral to our history and to the understanding of ourselves as community so I think that there are times in which masculine and feminine words or like where it's better to talk about the human condition but then there are also circumstances where those words are vital to understanding the human condition and our history you know what I mean yeah oh yeah. absolutely i, I agree think with that, that works in like the same way in a lot of queer spaces with a lot of queer terminology is it's like reclamation of mm. certain words and like phrases mm -hmm. to basically get across to cis and heterosexual people the issues that we struggle with because at the end of the day right now talking to you know four non-binary people it's sort of like an echo chamber, right? We're all aware of like gender, gender deviance and things like that. But then, you know, let's say when this episode gets released and there's lots of cis and heterosexual listening to this, uh, I think it's important to, you know, have them be able to understand the perspective that we're coming from as well. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, with reclamation, it kind of works in like everyone works in their own comfortability. Uh, no one should like be put in that box of like having to define themselves as masculine or feminine or half and half or... Um, yeah. And can I jump on your reclamation real quick? Yeah. Like the reclamation of terminology. I like what I'm hearing there, I think is it'd be an interesting point to bring out the reclamation goes, there's like, there's a difference between bisexuals and gay men getting behind the right for lesbians to use words that have been used to harm them in the past versus those same people deciding because they are a part of a community that involves lesbians, they are now allowed to use those words. And so I think it's an interesting conversation in this day, because mm -hmm. yeah. I'm not trying to say that masculine and feminine should now be deemed words that are a part of lesbian culture. And so therefore lesbians can use them to... <laughs> Do you kind of hear what I'm saying? Yeah, like, because, okay, for an example, like... People who have um, had the word, and trigger warning, um, people who have had the word faggot used against them understand that there is also power in taking that word back and saying, yeah. Yeah. you know what? Yes, that is who I am. And fuck you if you don't like me for it. Like, 
it really takes away the power of that word. Like it's no longer like uh, a bad thing because at that point they can't use it to be like, well, look at you. You're a faggot. You know, you're like, no, I am. Like, yeah, exactly. Hello. Exactly. Yeah. And I'll fuck your dad. Yeah. <laughs> and that, yeah. And, I'll, and Lil Nas. Okay. Yeah. Let's get oh into the pop culture reference. <laughs> oh man. Better watch out, Caitlin Bennett. <laughs> oh, at least I hope her dad sheets are clean. Like, <laughs> oh my god. They can't be. Well. Well, you know, and here's here's like here's my thought about that, like. To just really, yeah, the the final thing to say on that really would kind of just be that, like, even though you are in the community, there is still allyship that has to happen because you can't be the mm-hmm. entire community. You mm-hmm. are your part of the community and you need to hold that and you need to respect the other members mm-hmm. of your community. And that's something I um, it's been on my mind a lot recently, hence probably because of these Twitter conversations that we've been involved in very very consistently it seems recently where people on the left have decided either to hold themselves as a high enough individual that their perspectives hold weight above others or that the perspectives of people who are in their vicinity outweigh the members of their community and that com- that's come out in a lot of different conversations. I'm broadening it so that we don't have to get into every single Twitter conversation, but I bet you guys can kind of guess at least some of the ones. I that was I'm about to drop about. names. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But with that, you know, let's kind of move back to this idea of masculinity yeah. and femininity. The, the idea that I was talking about, you know, even with inside an asexual cell, there was a moment in prehistory where that asexual cell had both all of masculinity and femininity in it and then it split and created a process called sexuality in where there was sexual beings now and in that both sexual beings would be given parts of that original like that originality and so i think the conversation around masculinity and femininity needs to move from being too separate sets of power and more just two halves of one side of the human condition. Oh my God, that's so beautiful. I agree. It's, it's kind of like the yin and yang. I was just thinking that Atlas. Thank you. I was literally just thinking that. Yeah. Thank you. It's a, it's, it's a back and forth. It's a, it's right now. Currently it's a power struggle between the two when in reality it should be a union, Uh, not union. That's scary. I never mind. I take back the union part. I like the idea of just, um, they're both beautiful in their own ways Um, and they should come together instead of, I love the word give and take that you used because in my own personal experience, I have spent a whole lot of my life being told you have a penis, you are masculine, but then also having my mother come up to me and telling me you're the most emotional boy I've met in my life. You cry over the smallest thing. Why is everything such a big deal to you? Why? Like, and then also, um, just like, you know, little things like that where like people were telling me that like, you're supposed to be presenting masculine, but I'm getting feminine Ooh. from you. And and uh, you got to come to terms with like, even the most masculine one of us, even the fucking Dwayne The Rock Johnsons out there have this beautiful feminine side. And if you're okay with letting that out and being a whole person who has these both both aspects to them, 
I think that's the goal of masculinity, femininity that I see in the future. And I think what we have is more what Atlas is talking about, where they said, we have this, and I loved how you just pushed away from the word union there, because it's, it's really become this, there's a masculine power, there's a feminine power, and men get masculine, women are supposed to have feminine, and then we have this weird cultural shift that's messing that up. But based off of this cultural story that gets told, that shouldn't even be physically possible because they're not the same powers. The only way to reconcile a society where quote unquote men are feminizing would be to say that masculinity and femininity come from the same place. Do you mind if I like put an observation in there? Um, I went on a ramble. Any one of you jump in, please. <laughs> um, my little observation would be uh, that toxic masculinity stems from the suppression of the feminine side of the human yeah. because both, both like all of humanity will experience feminine masculinity because that is human. Humanity is both. And so you can't be human without both. Um, and so we get these very f extreme versions. Um, it's not as noticeable, I don't think, um, always um, from women or the people on the the more women's side of the, the gender spectrum um, as it is with the toxic masculinity. Um, but I think it's obvious when you choose to suppress what you are thought or like what you think you're not supposed mm -hmm. to have how that radiates out from you yeah right well and then the interesting thing about that is <clears throat> let's look at like homophobes for a second people who historically have been the greatest abjectors to equal rights for homosexuals have been Closeted homosexuals themselves. Oh, uh, oh almost you, every there, single there's time. Been every single, yeah. It's it's been a constant problem. I am very sorry May about that. Have to cut that out. This is your no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, you know, the problem is I have my phone silenced, but because of Apple's beautiful integration, <laughs> you know, my computer still likes to make noise. It's okay. We, we, we'll, we won't ask you on to the next show. Don't yeah. worry about it. So. <laughs> oh, dang. I'm getting kicked off my own show. Do you hear this? A pretty prominent example is like when we talk about, I guess, you know, the mainstreaming of homophobia in media. Uh, it's, pr it's pretty hard to have that conversation without talking about Harvey Milk, who was mm -hmm. basically, you know, an organizer, uh, the first gay city councilman, I believe, in the United States, yep. uh, operating out of. Um, San Francisco. Castro. Yeah. Yep. And so essentially what happened was he ended up getting assassinated by a fellow city uh, council person named Dan White. And Dan White, mm -hmm. I believe, did he kill himself as well? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think he's. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Dan White um, ended up taking his own life. And then later it was revealed that Dan White was a closeted homosexual yeah. and was just Irish Catholic living in the Castro. Um, and it just, it manifests itself in so many ways by suppressing those parts, those feminine parts or like those parts of your sexuality that you're scared of. Like it just can create this kind of like violent, uh, yeah, outburst, let's say. Absolutely. And I, I think that that goes back to like kind of what I was saying at the beginning. We are so scared of a society 
of being girly and of being feminine because it's mm-hmm. dangerous and it's bad. Like it's it's half of the. It's like not. It's more. It's it's half of us or it's of us, but it's the mm-hmm. thing that we're scared of. How did we get to this place? You know, this is a case against the modern man. I think the the parallel I see almost between like our current cultural conversation where people feel like we're very we're very split and we have a hard time communicating with people on the other side. Um, we like we people are asking, like, how did we get here? And I think like even down to this hiding of femininity in Western culture, you can even see that down to just like the incrementalism that has happened over thousands of years where cultures have kowtowed their rights to each other so that they can be the strongest one to survive Mm. and outlive these other cultures who are breaking these moral rules to be the strongest. And it's... It's interesting to see how the way that America was made couldn't end any other way. Like, there is no way you can start a country with the morals and ideals that were actually behind America and behind coming to, like, coming across the ocean for the first time and trying to find a new place to live and conquer it it wouldn't have ended any other way. This is the way that the conversation just naturally flows. Mm -hmm. I I think what I'm hearing is you're trying to tie in the relation to cultural history with religion, with the mass group think of the society and like the survival of the society. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if we look at it from a purely like educational and like non-religious viewpoint, um, through history. Um, what I mean by that is like, you're not coming in with bias of like one religion is the right religion or anything like that. Um, you see how religion starts small. I know we've talked about this before, I think on other podcasts, but religion starts small, um, with these micro religions and those ideas are then perpetuated to like survive survival of the fittest, almost of the cultures. Um, when we come and see that that the the masculine the misogyny um, version <laughs> of these religions kind of um, took hold and root in the European country, and then we got colonization from that, um, and it kind of just spread from there. Um, and I think that's what you're trying to say potentially. Kind of, and I think the the difference here between. I think the way you just framed it and the way that religion switched to colonization, I think it was very intentional. Um, and it's something that I, like, I, this is what I would write a thesis about. This is something I could write papers about is the idea that Rome's greatest technology was the ability to incorporate the religious ideals of the people around them into their current philosophy while holding the idea that Rome is greater than everyone else. So they were able to build a national identity while stealing your identity and incorporating it. And so it was the way that the Roman mythology worked for the tribes around it. And then when Roman Catholicism rose, they took the local religion and formed a single religion based off of this one philosophy of a group that they had under their rule 
So like even Christians were originally a sect underneath the Romans that were being persecuted as a minor religion. So we're talking about like 50 people in the religion. People are meeting in houses. They're being persecuted because they're discussing ideas that do not fit the cultural narrative. And the reason why they're being attacked is because it doesn't fit the Roman mythology of the time, which is what they're using to hold together Rome. And so when Rome switches over to Roman Catholicism, you see Rome start to dissipate. But what rises out of Rome is Roman Catholic states. And those Roman Catholic states perpetuate the idea of colonization that Rome invented with Roman mythology. And all of that ties into this conversation, I would say. It's just, it's a mess. It's, and it's hard to show somebody who doesn't want to be shown that Western culture is not this shining city on a hill that they think it is, something they don't want to see because it's so complex well, it's, and nuanced. I think another thing is, I, you can stop me if I talk too much, but I think no. one issue with that is the acceptance of like that Western culture is not the shining city on a hill that they think it is really then leads to the further destruction of the set of beliefs that they have and the security that they already have. And so challenging one of those pillars means that you have to challenge all of them. And to be honest, I don't think most people mm -hmm. want to do that. Like that's, that is a lot of uprooting and that is a hard, as a hard thing to do. It is. And one of the things I think we see in the Pacific Northwest is this weird mix of large cultural bases of leftists. So there are communities for people like us, but there are also communities for people on the right and for those ideologies and for this idea of toxic masculinity to continue building itself and just survive. But the larger those communities get, the more they stifle leftist communities like ours. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to have uh, Feeney on this conversation to kind of talk about like the, this side of the conversation from the South is like, you, these people are going to be harder to convince because not only do you have to tear, you have to convince them that their ideology, which is a scary thing. The ideology that their life is built around isn't right, mm -hmm. but then they have to go through that scary feeling of losing their community. And if their community is States large, got to be more intense than walking away from a church of 10,000 people, even though that's scary. It's scary to walk away from your community and step out. But anyway, I'm, I'm starting to ramble feeding. What do you, what do you think of all this? Well, I think that there's a common story about the South that gets told that's, you know, it's bigoted mm. backwards. And there are absolutely bigots and backwards people, especially in white towns in the South and across the South. But you also have to remember that the South has the largest population of transgender people in the country. It is the poorest area of the country. It is the most um, non-white area of the country. Um, and so it is also the the place where all of our great civil rights movements in American history have started and have come from. All of 
the organizing that was done in the South is what informs the organizing done everywhere else. It's the birthplace of American leftism. Um, and so when we talk about the South as this place that is impossible to be queer in, I think that that's, that's not accurate. It's a misnomer because, you know, West Virginia, like when we think of West Virginia, like what do you think? Like that you don't think, you know, queer kids, but West Virginia has the largest transgender youth population out of any state in the country. Um, which is, which is wild. Like people, like when we don't talk about these Appalachian and, you know, Southern queer people as people as, that aren't victims. There are communities here that are flourishing and are safe and are strong, but then there's also deep-setted abuses that happen. And we have governments in the South that are led by horrific people committing atrocities. So it's, it's really hard to balance that, you know, miss it, you know, the freedom riders through Alabama and then Mississippi having its governor be the nephew of the people who lynched and murdered Emmett Till. Like it's, you be in a place that's such a dichotomy in and of itself. Yeah. For your existence, yeah. I think too, like a lot of the times, something I've seen on the left, and it is such like a liberal move, but it's like people being like, the South is unsavable. Like when we see poor legislation, like passed in the South that negates people's rights, people are like, well, that's what you get, conservative fucks. When in actuality, you're negating the experience of the majority of black people in America that live in the South. You're negating the experience of transgender people that live in the South. And it's not just like a monolith of bigots. It's like a di very diverse population uh, that needs to be respected and like cared for just like anywhere else in the country even more so it also is like we the, all of the the bigots and stuff like that that are in control and in power in the south like they get to rig the system to maintain that power and so it's not like the people really are there choosing that you know it's being chosen for them in a sense um with voter suppression and the like absolutely and that was what i was going to say is that like we we don't have voting rights um <laughs> They're, they're not existent in the South. It's a very small population gets to vote and they get to vote for a reason and that's because they keep people in power. And that, that is the history of America's voting rights. It's always been about, no one is, no one wants to say anymore, only rich white men get to vote because people don't want white men to vote. They want landowning rich white men to vote. They want the Jeff Bezoses. And, and, you know, it doesn't even have to be white men in their eyes anymore. They, they'd be like, you own property? You own a business? I don't care. Like, black, you get to vote because you're going to vote for me because you have my interest at heart. Where the fuck is my soul? I just want to be home. Running around the city waiting for you to miss Every single day it seems I still 
so wild <laughs> so no. yeah this new robot that we're using is uh we'll get used to it his voice? i will try but <laughs> you know the whole purpose of actually doing the recordings this way is so that in the long run we can start getting people who are fans of the show in to listen to these live recordings and get to <sighs> participate they'll get to sit down and write us questions while we're in here and talk to guests it'll be a much more interactive show, I think, in the future. And so once I start getting the ball rolling on this and we get this a little bit more organized, it'll be better. But uh, we started getting a little sidetracked. You know, we it's, it's easy and it's it's so interconnected right now. And talking about non-binariness is, you can't talk about non-binariness and not get into the current patriarchy and the political structure of America, especially as non-binary people in America. Um, mm. But... You know, with that, I think we should maybe get a little bit more focused back on why we're here in this episode, because we're starting to run a little long on time. And I know that we all have things to get going today. Um, so, Atlas, why don't you go ahead and start talking to me about your experience uh, and journey at, with non-binariness? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... I think it kind of started with uh, like my journey. Uh, kind of just started with the questioning of the 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 message being presented um, through almost every source of American education, media. You know, the the family system, um, and really just kind of wondering why why was it this way? Why was it set up in such a power? Um, dynamic for like misogynistic um, kind of oppressive uh, forces at play. Um, and so that kind of led me to further question what is the role gender plays in our society and why? why? <laughs> um, and so that's kind of led me to realize that there is, there is a beauty to accepting both sides of uh, what gender is and question further if the divide is necessary or if it is just a divide to create this um, power vacuum that one side is less than the other. Yeah. Um, and so I think in that journey, I also realized that this whole Western um, global North narrative around misogyny and everything really was stemmed from um, colonization and like Catholics and stuff like that, because we see um, in history, that the indigenous people of America definitely had evidence to show that they had transgender people. They had two-spirit individuals. And um, in those cultures, they were held in a very high regard. They were the healers. They were the the like the emotional, like they 
they were considered to have a higher level of like understanding of love. Um, and so we see that it wasn't, it's not a natural, not necessarily a, like a human um, response to be binary male, female, um, because plenty of cultures before us uh, clearly had a better understanding of that than we do now. Um, and so when you see the invasion of uh, the Americas from Europe, uh, we brought with that this idea of a um, an umbrella of God first, man second, woman, and then from there on. And that was a very that's like a very that's a very damaging um, way of viewing the world. And uh, that's it just all ties into one clusterfuck of what we are in right now. So <laughs> I don't think I have to preach to the choir. Um, but I definitely think that there's a lot to look into in there. And so that's kind of where I yeah. went. That's my yeah. journey. Um, and yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. It gets into the concept of conformance that is pushed in industrial societies. And even before then, and societies where to create power, you have to create mm -hmm. a level of homogeny. That just reminded me of uh, just like a little indigenous history piece about transgenderism. Um, yeah. Do you guys know, do y'all know the story about um, transgender cowboys back in the day? Yeah. Mm, no, enlighten uh, me. Oh my God. I'm not familiar. Okay, so I'm going to get some of the details <laughs> wrong, but. It's really cool. Uh, so yeah, like, feel free to jump yeah. in then, and if like you know Alice something, mentioned, that is you know, wrong. transgender people and people, gender deviants, let's call them people that deviate from the binary. Uh, they've existed in indigenous cultures for a super long time, and a really well-known kind of case of that uh, was the trans cowboys of the 1800s, and so I believe it was the Apache. Uh, Basically, what happened was there was a number of two-spirit and trans individuals uh, that wanted to sit in shotgun. They wanted rights that they couldn't get uh, at the time. So they started dressing as men uh, and basically just like riding across the West, killing colonizers, uh, doing badass shit. Uh, and yeah, people lived like that for their entire lives, transitioning, so to speak. Uh, around like adolescence or like 15, 16, uh, and then just living as living their truth as a transgender cowboy to kill colonizers. It sounds like isn't a really that the life. dream? Like I isn't know. the end goal. Well, I thought that you were actually going to talk about like cow wrestlers being outside of the you know being gender deviant, uh, but that story is really really fun too. But yeah, I. I don't know. Share it's your just, story then. This sounds like a whole part of American history that is just like absolutely under the carpet. Yeah. Especially up here. We're hiding this <laughs> under a rug. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, you know, like throughout Cowboying, it's this chance to be away from the peering eyes of society. You, a lot of um, the cowboy trails that we see where people were transporting cows from Texas north are going through vast, empty, very rural lands. And, you know, of course, indigenous lands. And so we see a lot of cowboys doing things that they couldn't do 
or cow people, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna the cow people. <laughs> doing the things that they wouldn't people. be able to do inside of Western towns, Western colonizer towns. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, cowboy history is, you, it's indigenous history, it's Mexican history, black history, and it's queer history. And mm. we're so often told this narrative that cowboys were not these people, mm. and we see... You know, yeah. exclusively portrayals of white cowboys. That's so interesting. But that's not what happens. <laughs> yeah. We have these um, cowboys as these people who are regarded in like our cultural films and movies as these white mm-hmm. men who were running around and taking care of the people who were savages at the time. And that's just that's so weird to learn that it was literally the almost the exact opposite. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was loving, and you you can read accounts. I can send you some um, of like cowboy diaries, and mm-hmm. it's just like profound love stories. Mm. And I don't know, it's like it warms my little cowboy I heart. Know. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm not talking about cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about cowboys forever. We can almost call this the uh, the cow people episode. We could. Um, <laughs> we could. No. <laughs> No, I think I think it's interesting. There's so much that ties into the conversation around non-binariness. And most of it is just a conversation about people who wanted to be themselves and were told by mostly just imperialistic cultures that they couldn't. Because you can see so many examples across the world of trans people or non-binary, two-spirited, whatever, whatever they were called at their time and in their place. Um, being allowed to live lives that were very whole and fulfilling lives and be themselves around it. It's it's interesting how much of it, it, it plays back into the idea of why suicide is a problem of the developed world. Well, I mean, I, I can speak on a little bit of that. I think maybe Um, like, I think it's just because there is such a lack of any support for anyone that falls into this. Um, it's basically like, I know the message feels like a constant. Um, you're not what society wants from you, like you to be. And so what is your value if you don't support what society wants from it? Like you don't have a purpose here. So why are you here? Is kind of, um, the messaging that it feels like, um, and yeah, and that's, the such thing a, that's such a really toxic like way to think about it. The thing I'd really like to add to that is it's sometimes not even the people we can see as trans and non-binary who are committing suicide and are part of the statistics that are actually the people who are being affected the most by it. It's those people who never, ever, ever told anyone and still left this earth before they ever got a chance to be themselves because they felt there was no room for them culturally. And that's still a problem we're seeing today, even though there is wider acceptance. And we're even sitting here online, all safe safe, and having a conversation about non-binariness very openly and going to be heard by anyone who wanted it. Yeah. It's well, still actually, not... I'm sitting in the bathroom closet, so my grandpa... <laughs> so... Oh, so you're, you're, um, you're in the closet again? Uh, so, 
No, yeah. Beanie is getting closeted for this conversation. <laughs> the rest of right us. Now, so. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> he told me a couple days ago, I was like, oh, can you pick me up some diet soda at the store? I don't care if it's Pepsi or whatever, or Coke, you know, because she usually buys Coke. She's like, well, I don't buy Pepsi. I don't buy Pepsi. I'm like, why don't you buy Pepsi? <laughs> she was like, because it supports the lesbians and gays, and I don't, I don't, I don't know what that. Out of nowhere. I'm like, oh, <laughs> wait, oh. is Pepsi actually, I thought they were run by Mormons. No, I don't think they do. I think it's just crazy. Um... <laughs> It's Oreo, actually. Wasn't it? Oreo had the commercial that made me cry like three times. Oh, my times. God. You better not tell Grandma. Grandma? <laughs> um, no more Oreos. I'm eating some Oreos. Like, I, think it was, I think it was Oreo. There was this commercial about this yeah. uh, Middle Eastern family, and they were just like, one of their daughters was a lesbian, and the dad like slowly comes around to just like, becoming okay with it, and like eventually like the commercial ends, and he's like painted the family fence rainbow and it's like did i do it right mm. that's like sweet emotional it's like it's it's it, it's one of those things that like totally tears apart the narrative of the right that like we're all, all of us on the left the non-binaries the like the people of the lgbtq plus community that they're obsessed with getting all of the language right no like no. we all just want our old parents to just say like you're still who we love like, yep. and you don't have to get it all right. All these, I like, I think there are a lot of people, not the people speaking on the right, but there are a lot of people who are listening to them who are just afraid that they're going to mess up. And so instead of being afraid, because that's a feeling that is scary to them, they get angry and they say, what you're doing is wrong. And yeah. I don't know how to combat that but i'm hoping that open honesty and conversations like this is at least some way to get about it yeah i mean it's a definitely kind of a first in history for something like this to be produced so um i definitely think that there is a, an avenue for that so well i yeah. really appreciate that and you know i i've just been blessed in these, which is so weird to say, in these last like year or two where we've been falling apart or we've been watching America go through late stage capitalism just start to erode in ways that it is becoming easier and easier for those who have not been paying any attention to see. And in that time where so many people are just Hurting. losing everything, I am finding myself just blessed to be surrounded by people like you and uh -huh. people like my listeners and especially friends like you who are all just not only fantastic and good-hearted people, but also working towards goals that are you, you are passionate about. And it is exciting for me who has a passion of my own to see other people be so gung-ho about something else. It's just one of those things that your enthusiasm and your fire helps carry me along too. So um, with that, I would really like to take a second here towards the end to give all of my listeners a chance to hear about what you guys are working on. So we're going to start backwards this time. I, we've heard a lot from Atlas at the beginning of these conversations. That's not a problem. Atlas is also a host of a podcast, which we'll come back Sorry to. Sorry about that. But... Not a problem. No, We're you. all just talkative people. But 
I would like to start here. We're going to work with Rob. Rob, why don't you tell us what you're what you're working on? Then Feeney, why don't you share your current projects? And then we'll end it here with Atlas. Yeah. So I'm working on some abolition kind of work right now. Um, I've partnered up with uh, Amnesty International, uh, the world's largest human rights organization, to start this kind of satellite operation in Portland uh, to combat the police brutality as a direct response to the protests last summer connected to George Floyd. Um, so, yeah, basically, I organize five days a week, and uh, we're pushing for legislation to restrict the use of lethal force, banning chokeholds outright, uh, mandatory body cams, that kind of thing. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, people get killed too often. I think the statistic is about a 1,000 Americans every single year. Uh, and essentially, no cops are held accountable for any of those killings. Um, so, yeah, I've been on the ground in Portland, putting in the work, blood, sweat, and tears, that kind of thing. Um, and Amnesty is a name I feel like I've heard before. Did Am Was Amnesty involved in the um, uh, the death penalty laws that have been put into place? Yeah. So, I, I don't know. Yeah, Amnesty uh, is super, that. super well known for disestablishing the death penalty across the planet. Uh, back when we first started, there were 13 countries that had the death penalty outlawed. Uh, and since we have outlawed it in 142 countries, uh, which is cool. Yeah, it's like millions of people saved um, because, you know, the work that I do is to expose direct violation in human rights. Uh, and that's normally dictated by like very high up organizations like the UN or the Geneva Convention. Uh, but anytime that we see a violation in human rights, we go out to put all hands on deck to get it done and to stop that and get justice for these people immediately. Uh, and I think like we center it on equity. So we look at people who need the help the most right now, uh, which kind of makes sense why we're in Portland with such a brutalized police force uh, fighting this campaign. But through equity, you get direct justice for the people that need it the most right now. And I think that's what we saw with Amnesty's death penalty campaign, how it ran for those four decades or so uh, was seeing the most oppressive oppressive regimes in the world uh, basically bend and meet us at these kind of legislative pieces that end up saving people that would be executed for, you know, reasons that make no sense. People on this call would be executed just for being who we are in some of these places, you know? Well, and one of the things I am very passionate about is the death penalty. I always say that <clears throat> you can't hold yourself a Christian and then be okay with state-sanctioned killings. Jesus himself was killed by the state. So just let that sink in for a couple of mm -hmm. seconds. Um, Rob, is there any places that people can find you? Yeah, absolutely. If they were to look for your work, where would they where would they find you out there? Um so Find me on Twitter at River Robbie, R I V E R R O B B Y. I just launched my nonprofit, Sustained Equity. Uh, it's sustainedequity.org. We're working on meeting uh, the intersection. Yeah, it's the intersection of sustainable agriculture and, uh, you know, houseless queer justice. So check it out. Yeah, that's some really exciting work. And all of those will, like, always be below with the rest of the links to everyone else's work. I like to make sure that all of that's in one easy space. Feeney, I know that last time we heard from you, you were working on some poetry, but 
I'd like to hear more from you. What, what are you working on now? What's new? Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing an oral history project collecting oral histories from women mm. of the Ozarks. I'm primarily focusing on womanhood and motherhood and how those two things work together and, and how they work within the context of That the sounds absolutely fascinating. Yeah. It is. It's so fun. Oh, and it's, I'm doing silent generation wow. women. I said that earlier. Um, so been really cool to get to hear stories. Some of them are like absolutely wild. <laughs> My grandma was telling me. Um, so she was the first person that I interviewed. Um, and she told this story. Her first son was biting people. So there, you know, she was a teen mom. Um, it's like in her, 19-year-old brain, she's like, well, I'm just going to bite him back. And so she bit him back, and that didn't work. And so then she had the person who watched after him during the day bite him back if he was biting, and that didn't work. So eventually they had the other kids who he was biting start biting him back, and he stopped biting, but then all of the other kids started oh, biting. Oh, no! So, <laughs> it's like, silent, like parenting was wild. Um, no That's so funny. So, Feeny, I know we have had your information on the podcast before, but I would really like it for people to have that again for those who haven't heard before or missed the last episode. Where can they find you? Sure. I'm on Twitter at Feeny, 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 and it's F-E-N-I-E. And that's just my name three easy, times. Easy enough. Oh. Atlas, I know for a fact that you have some amazing projects that have just launched out there why don't you go ahead and give us a me here don't don't hype me up too much yeah you know i am also happen to be involved in this project so i think this project <laughs> is it's one of my it's one of the projects i'm most excited about right now and if yeah. <laughs> that lets you know as a fan of mine that i am working on music i have things that I cannot mention to you right now that are in the works that blow my mind. I have this podcast that has made me feel so lucky to put this work that high in my book. It, it says that it's important. So I don't want to, I, I can't emphasize enough how important this project is. Mm. Um, why don't you get into it? Well, thank you. Yeah. So for anyone that doesn't know, um, I kind of just launched a new project called The Collectivist. And really the whole idea behind it is to create a global web of connections for activists, mutual aid groups around the world. Um, basically to have just a one-stop shop for everything you need to know about getting involved in activism in your community, um, getting involved in activism in a more international worldwide sense. Um, it's also going to be kind of the idea is to be a spot to help navigate um, the organizing on the ground because with without a global movement, global like connecting um, and kind of solidarity amongst uh, everyone, we're not going to be able to make the meaningful change that we actually want to see in this world. It's going to have to be um, liberation for all and uh we can't just stop with what's at home. So we need to, I know um, in a recent podcast with uh, someone uh, that is awesome, Rob, hello. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, the, uh, we did mention a little bit like how you got to think globally um, and act locally. So that's kind of the the idea is uh, globally get connections, but also to be able to um, get connected and involved in your own hometown. So um, very excited about the future of this. Um, uh, and then I also have been doing, you know, on the ground work um, here in the Seattle, Washington area. Um, or at the Duwamish land, um, which was the indigenous people that lived here before us. Um, and uh, really been working towards abolition of the police state and like uh, the, re uh, not reform, but um, the creation of a new way of uh, community safety. So, mm. yeah. That is, yeah. that is as important as it gets right now. We are yeah. all pushing right now in... In our own in our hometowns to become organized and also global organization is the goal of most of us on the left right now and it's where we are finding these online connections and how do we turn these online connections into something meaningful if we leave them to the 280 character blurbs on twitter What's interesting is even in the age of te technology, like word of mouth is the number one mm. source of like any sort of information or movement or anything like that. So really just getting, yeah, yeah just getting into true. the hands of other people and then them sharing it to at least what, like you talk to one person, you've already like doubled the audience of the the information that you gained like you right then just at, you doubled yourself so you have the information now someone else does um and so it's really that's the that's the whole idea so mm, and that Ooh. right there ladies gentlemen gentle thems and everyone else on the spectrum we love you all and our goal is to let your voices be heard and to amplify your ability to spread spread the good word and also the ideas that that working together actually is meaningful and that we can actually accomplish something as a team yeah with that oh, i really yeah. appreciate all you guys coming on the show today mm, thank you for having us thank you you Thank most you. likely will hear from all of these lovely people again. And if you would feel like you have something to share to the show, feel out, feel free to hit me up on any of my social medias. They are like always in the link tree below. With that. Oh, Atlas, what was your Twitter? Oh yeah. my gosh. Thank you so much, Feeny. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Um I was <laughs> it's okay. I was I it, um yeah. So you can uh follow my recent project, The Collectivist, at um T underscore collectivist. Um, so it's just the letter T underscore C O L L E C T I V I S T. Um, and that's also at thecollectivist.com. Um, and then you can follow my personal Twitter at Atlas underscore N B Pride. So Atlas underscore E N B Y Pride. Uh, and yeah, that's kind of my main forms of communicating to the world right now. So and you tell we're all leftists on Twitter. <laughs> I know, right? Yep. <laughs> we all use Twitter to communicate. We don't need Even Instagram. Even we hate it, we love, we love Twitter. Seriously. We Seriously. Well, I am so sorry. I almost left you out there. That was not intentional. Oh, no, it's okay. No, it's okay. Again. In the po in post-credits, no one will know. 
True, true. You know, but exactly. I do like to keep my show exactly. feeling very, very original and light. I love the fact that some of these moments where, like even today, you know, we had the fall apart where the recording stopped. That feels very human. And it's, it's nice to know that I'm not trying to present myself to you guys or all of you out there as... Like, I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm human. Uh, I don't want to hide that from you. So, take me, warts and all. And with that, I'll take you, warts and all. We'll see you, lovely people, next time. That was A Case Against the Modern Man. Hey, dog. Please come a little bit closer. Hold up another drink. Smoke. Sit till we can get Bottle ain't gonna run over, over. Sipping on this gin 